um, read the Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray um, for us. In particular, I'm going to pray um, for New Zealand as well um, and uh, for the events that have unfolded over there over the last um, number of days. Um, we, we have uh, Kiwis here um, as part of our family, and, uh, and we are their brothers and their sisters um, between our two countries, and, uh, and I think it's something that has deeply affected all of us. Um, so I'm just going to pray for that specifically, and then pray as well that, that God, through His Spirit, kind of uh, helps us to hear His Word um, today. So why don't you pray with me? Um, Father God, I, I thank you so much that um, you are a God who is in control of all things, and, uh, and even when we wake up um, to news uh, that looks like it's uh, that we live in a world where there is just chaos, um, when we wake up to news where we see um, lives being um, taken uh, through horrible evil acts, that it makes us um, really wrestle and question um, your goodness and who you are and whether or not you're in control. But we thank you, Lord, that as we look through the span of history and we have seen that you are a God who loves us, you're a God who is in control of all things, and, and we pray, um, Lord God, that you will help us to draw on that now and help us to be people who um, are filled with compassion, um, help us to be people um, who speak wisely, um, of the things that um, have unfolded in New Zealand over the last um, couple of days. Help us to be people who speak wisely in such a way that, that doesn't perpetuate um, hate, but rather models what it looks like and to be followers of you and to be disciples of you. Um, Lord God, would you particularly help us as we engage in things like social media? Um, would you particularly help us to be people who um, fly your flag and uh, show that it, what it is to um, follow you in everything um, that we believe. And, and we pray, Father, that you will help us to be a community of people um, who uh, gather around um, those in our family who have been deeply affected by this and to love them and care for them and uh, work out how to keep on um, pointing one another to um, your glory and who you are. Um, Father, would you um, please um, help us now as we come to hear from your word uh, that you would speak to us. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you um, calm our hearts? Would you open our eyes? And would you make us receptive to what it is that you have um, to say to us today? And, and Lord God, as we um, listen uh, to your word and as we hear what it is that James um, has to say um, to us through your word, Father, would you um, send us out here today as people um, who are changed, as people who are inspired and encouraged and to keep on making disciples in everything that we do. Amen. Now, you should have your Bible reading in the booklet. I'm actually looking for one because I don't have one. Oh, sorry. Nobody's got a booklet this week. My bad. Um, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. You'll just have to bear with me while I get the, the Bible reading. there. Everybody got it? You get it quicker than I did? That's good. 
Um, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Amen. Hello. How are we? Good, good. We saw it so rowdy and I loved it. Now it's a bit more chilled. It's all right. Safe, safe space. Um, my name's James. I haven't met you before. I'm one of the leaders here at Established Church. And like Lee said, last week we, we've kind of been journeying over the past. This is, this is week three of our series, We Are. We've been journeying through just the Bible, looking at who we are in Christ and what it means for how we live. Um, kind of last week we looked at how we are disciples, how we follow Jesus. Um, this week we're looking at what that actually looks like kind of in everyday life. And we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be primarily in Matthew 28, but we'll be going to Hebrews 10 as well if you want to kind of get your, your thumb there ready for that a bit later. Um, but I don't know if you guys did this when you were younger. Uh, when I was younger, I would go to school with my dad when I was sick uh, or whenever I had time off school for whatever reason. Sometimes I just didn't want to go. Um, I would go hang out with my dad at work. Um, and it was one of my favorite things to do as a kid. Like I loved going to work with dad um, I kind of got to, like, Dad's been the same, he's a primary school teacher, by the way, he's been a primary school teacher at the same school longer than I've been alive, um, which is great, loyal, um, but whenever I was off school, I would go hang out with Dad at school, um, and I loved it, because, like, going to, I don't know if you ever did this, if you're, if you're the son or a daughter of a primary school teacher, it might have been the same for you, like, I would go to Dad's school, and I was, like, famous, because I was, like, the, the teacher's kid, and they're like, you Mr. S, son? I'm like, yeah, yeah, Mr. S, son. Like, it was this weird, I don't know, it's the closest thing I've ever felt like to being a celebrity. And I kind of dig into that, I loved it. Um, but one of the coolest things for, for young James was kind of getting to feel like I was helping out. Uh, like, I was, Dad, like, calm down, I wasn't in a class or anything, I wasn't, like, teaching kids, but, like, I would kind of run around to the storeroom, I would get to play on the computer, I would just kind of, like, hang out with kids and, I don't know, pretend I was a celebrity, I guess. Um... And all the fun things like you kind of get to do at school. But I got to go to work with my dad. Like that was, that was the big thing about that I loved. Like I got to hang out with my dad and spend time with my dad and be a part of what my dad was doing. Um, like I felt like I was helping. I felt like I was a part of something bigger as a young kid. In reality, I was probably quite annoying and made his job harder on the day. Um, but the reason I kind of want to start with talking about going to school with my dad or going to, like, going to work with our parents or our dad because in many ways, us being a part of making disciples is like a kind of cosmic take your kid to work day. Like in many ways, us being a part of making disciples is us being invited into what God is doing in making disciples. What God is doing in the world, in the lives of people all around us. In many ways, like I said, we're invited to this cosmic, let's go to work with Dad. Um, and last week we kind of looked at, like I said, what it means to be a disciple. We talked about how it's not about being perfect, but it's about progress. Um, it's not just about knowing facts about who Jesus is, but actually knowing Jesus ourselves. Um, we looked at what it means to become more and more like Jesus, and uh, like the whole kind of package deal, like we looked at how it's worth it. Like following Jesus is worth it. And this week we're looking at how our identities as disciples 
as people who follow Jesus, means that we go and make disciples ourselves. How we are disciple makers. And this is God's kind of mission and growth strategy for the church. Like it's us making disciples. So what we're going to do today is, like I said, we're going to kind of plan our flag in Matthew 28, something known as a Great Commission. If you've grown up in church, you might have heard it like that. But Matthew 28, we're going to plan our flag there, and then we're going to kind of look at two core ways of how discipleship plays out. And I'll be real with you guys. I had, it says two core ways. It's about six points. I had about five other points. But I got to the point where I was like, this is going to be an hour sermon. I can't do this now. Uh, so I cut it. There's, there's so much. This is such a big topic, and we're kind of only just scratching the tip of the iceberg, um, Nikki and James, they pretty much preached a sermon for me. Um, go back and watch that. But I encourage you guys, after this sermon, share ways what it means to make disciples. Like, what does it actually look like? Because I'm only, I'm only um, scraping the surface. But the first way, or like the kind of two core ways that it happens, I think, is life on life and in community. So it's life on life and in community. We're going to start by looking at Matthew 28, and we'll start at verse 18. Uh, this is the Great Commission, like I said. Now, this is just after Jesus died, rose on the cross. Like, this is the big moment. And he's literally standing before his disciples where I don't notice this, that they're still doubting, like, which it's a whole sermon itself. That's a really beautiful truth. That even the people who saw Jesus post-resurrection still struggled to doubt, which should free us a little bit um, with some of the anxieties that we may feel. But here he is at the end of it all, standing on top of a mountain, looking at his followers, his disciples, and he says this. He goes, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will, surely, not surely, he's not talking to Shirley, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We'll come back to that. Um, these are kind of three really short verses. But there's so much in them. Um, but I'm just going to highlight two things for us today. And the first thing is that we're, we're commanded to make disciples. Like we're, we're told to do it. It's very easy to skip over verse 18 and just kind of get to the verse 19 about the things that we're to do, which is make disciples. Because in verse 18, we, we hear Jesus say, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Like when we lose that, we kind of lose a bit of the weight of the chapter. Like the reason we make disciples... It's because Jesus commands it. Jesus doesn't say it's some sort of helpful advice. He's not saying, hey, look, if you've got some free time, or maybe over your, your Christmas holidays, maybe try and make disciples. Like he's saying, go and make disciples. Like Jesus, the one who he told storms to stop being storms, the one who, who healed people with illnesses that aren't easy to heal, like the one who a mere few days, or like a month earlier, literally defeated death, sin and Satan all in one go, rose from the grave, and here he is standing before his disciples and saying to them and saying to us here in 2019 at Salvage Church, go and make disciples. All right, let's talk about the word go for a second, because in many ways the word go, it kind of encapsulates um, much of our like, angst and anxiety and desire within us to, to make sure our lives matter. Like the angst that many of us may feel for our lives um, can be filled with the excitement of adventure. Like we, we want to make a difference. We want to have adventures. We want to do all this type of stuff. Like we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Like we want to leave our mark on this planet. And for many of us, when we read this passage and we see, go and make disciples of all nations, we think of like international adventure. We think about like jumping on a plane and going overseas to some faraway land and 
making disciples or by, um, being a part of missions. But the truth is, for, for most of us here, that, that won't be the case. The truth is, God has uniquely placed us. He's uniquely placed you and uniquely wired you. And he's given you gifts and talents that you can use to make disciples right where we are, of those around you. Like some of us will be called to go on planes, like the Higgins, or driving, whatever you're doing, but go, go to other places, and that's something that we should celebrate and rejoice in, and we want to be a church, an established church, that is sending people. I can't wait for the day where we, we send people overseas to, to start ministries, to plant churches. We should rejoice in that, but for many of us, God has placed us right here, right where we are right now, to make disciples right here in the Sutherland Shire. God has invited us to be part of what he is doing here in the Sutherland Shire. Like some cosmic bring your kid to work day, like we only need to be obedient to God and join in what he's already doing here in making disciples. Like we get to join his work right here where we are. And we're not left alone to do it, which is the second thing I want to highlight in this passage, which is God is with us. It's with us when we make disciples. And we see this in verse 20. And Jesus says, And surely um, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I was on purpose that time. Um, I'm, not even sure ever, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of a guy called Derek Redmond. Has anyone heard of Derek Redmond? No. Um, look, I had an island until I researched this. Um, Redmond was a 400-meter runner in the UK in the 1992 Olympic Games. I think we've got a photo of him that Tim's going to chuck up for us. Um, yeah, he was a runner. He was this kind of big deal. Like, he got to the semifinals. He had the best times at the games. Like, he was, everyone had all this hope in him, all this, like, this, he, this is it. He's going to take it for us in the UK. We've, we love this. And then here he was, right? He lined up in the semifinals. He was on the line. The starting gun, gun went off, and he just went for it. He sprinted. This was before Usain Bolt. Like, he was going for it. Had one of the best starts ever. He was going so well. And I think he was about, like, out of the 400 metres, I think he was like 100 metres in, and all of a sudden his, his hamstring just snapped and he just dropped to the ground. And he describes it as like this massive, he just heard this pop, excruciating pain on the ground. And there he is on the ground, hamstring snapped, he's in excruciating pain. And, but he got up to try to finish the race. He actually stood up and you see him hobbling and he just couldn't make it. He was hobbling in pain, you see it on his face, and like the, the anguish and the... Just the hurt he's feeling with a, a, snapped a, key, uh, a snapped hamstring. And he can't even make it across the 200-meter um, mark. And it's on YouTube. I encourage you to go watch it. I encourage you to go watch it and not cry, because I did. Um, even though I watched it again for the 100th time. Like, you see, the, like you see him running, right? And then you see, like, it's just this frame on him. And just you see this person get up from the crowd and run down. And like this person's like running down, he pushes through security, he jumps over the fence, jumps on the, the track with him, and literally gets up like beside him and helps him cross the finish line. Like he, he literally holds him, gets alongside him, and crosses the finish line. And you look, this is what made me cry, you just look, and it's like 200,000 people just like on their feet cheering and everyone's going nuts. And it turns out that that's his father. Like he, his dad literally sees his son, runs down, and he helps him. He, he helps him get across the finish line. And the reason I tell you that is because it's the same for us making disciples one another. Like, it, it's hard. Like, we're broken people who are called to love and care for and disciple 
broken people. Like you pull that together, sometimes friction happens, conflict happens, hurt happens. But God is with us as we do it. Like another translation says this way, it says, Behold, I am with you always to the very end. Because as we go and make disciples of one another, of others, like God's with us. He's filled us with His Holy Spirit, who's living in us and working and empowering us to go and make disciples. It's a privilege, and we're not alone as we do it. He's helping us, He's with us, He's doing the work. But what does it look like? What does it actually look like to make disciples? Like what? It's all lofty, it's easy to talk about, it's easy for me to stand at the front and say, what, I do this, what does this look like? But what does it actually look like in practice for us, a Salvage Church in 2019 to make disciples of one another? And I'm going to kind of lay it out for you guys, like I said, life on life, and that's our first point, life on life. And when I say life on life discipleship, I'm not talking about like one-to-ones and many have to get coffee, as important as that is. As much as I love, like Lisa, I'm the maturity pastor. Every time I hear someone saying that they met up with someone to get coffee, I get so happy. I get a bit giddy inside. I get really excited. Like, I seriously rejoice because it's such a cool thing when we hear of people in our church family loving and caring for one another. Like, when we hear, when I hear things like James and Nikki, and like, it's easy for them to say that in 10 minutes, but you can ask so many people in our church family just countless stories of how, like, James and Nikki meeting out with them and caring for them and loving them has had a profound impact. But so much more than just meeting out to read the Bible. Let me illustrate this way. Lee gave me permission to share this. Catherine doesn't know I'm sharing it. She's probably getting anxious now. It's okay. It's not bad. Um, the Murray's getting solar panels installed, right, at the moment, which is awesome, really exciting. Um, so they got someone in to come and check on their wiring. Lee can kind of clarify the story later. They got someone to come check on their wiring to, to make sure it's all sweet as it happens. Like, you, you can't just do it yourself. And upon getting there, this, the guy who came and checked it, um, taking a closer look, the guy discovered that there was asbestos, asbestos, um, hiding underneath kind of some of the house and some of the backyard. Like, I don't know anything about asbestos. It's not good. Um, it's quite toxic for you. It's not healthy for you. But this, the previous tenant kind of just put it there, hid it, and left it there, which also isn't good. Um, the thing is, this person tried to cover up the disease of the house. Like they, they tried to cover up like, the sickness of the house in many ways. They tried to hide it. They thought, maybe if I just put something over it, they'll never know or they'll never find out. It was only until someone came, like, had a closer look and examined it closely that they saw that there was something wrong. It was easy to cover things up. Like, it's easy to cover up our sin. It's easy to cover up our brokenness. And when we do that, it doesn't change the fact that it's still there. Like in the same way of covering up asbestos, it doesn't change the fact that it's still there. It just hides it. And it often seems that covering up our need for healing and restoration is much easier than the actual process of getting it done. Like for us, it's very much easier to, to hide our sin and cover our sin than face the reality of actually confronting it ourselves and come to terms with it. But it doesn't change the problem. Like putting soil or plaster over asbestos doesn't actually change the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. And it masters, it just masters it so no one else can see. And the truth is, God still sees it. I'm not talking about asbestos in here, I'm talking about sin, still sees that though. But God still sees our sin when we hide it. 
God still sees our sin when we cover it up, put that shine on ourselves, this veneer that we're all okay. God still knows that we fall short. Our sin still offends Him. And He wants to restore us and spiritually grow us to make us more and more into the image of Christ, which is one of the key purposes of discipleship. God's means of doing this is using other believers in our lives who are committed to bringing out our brokenness and bringing it out into the open, not just leaving it there, but speaking the truth of the gospel, speaking the word of God, and the, the knowledge that we have from the word that we are saved, that our sins are covered. In the same way, taking a closer look at the, the house, it takes people taking a closer look at our own lives. In Christ-centered relationships, where we're loved and cared for, where people can speak into our lives. Because we all need people in our lives who can see what we do and do not believe. Like we need people in our lives who, who say, who can look at us, who know us intimately, who love us, who care for us, who want what's best for us in Christ, and who can look at our lives and say, hey, let me just encourage you in this way. I see you, you struggle with working this out about God's sovereignty here or knowing that God even loves you or that God's your father. Hey, let me, let me speak into that. Let me open the Bible with you. We need people who love us when we're struggling. We need people who can remind us of grace when we fall short. And we need to be able to do that for other people. That's not just people doing it for us, but it's us discipling other people, loving other people. Like, life on life discipleship says, I'm in this with you. Like, you're not alone in this. Like, I'm, I'm in this with you. This journey through life together, and it's not just when it's convenient. Like, this doesn't just happen on a Sunday or a couple hours midweek at a GC, like gospel community, which is our small groups. Like, it means being in each other's lives. It's messy. It's intrusive, Right? The inner, in, our introvert in me, which I'm an introvert, by the way, like when I hear that, I get like, oh, that's a bit too much, or I don't, you know what I mean? I like to put the barriers up, I like to put the walls up. Chances are there's some of us here who do the same thing. And we hear this and we think, oh, it's a bit messy, that's, that's intrusive, that's a bit uncomfortable. And we know it's not easy. And we know, like I said earlier, it can hurt at times. But when we're devoted to Jesus, and seeing each other grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus, like we heard last week, we, we know that it's worth it. And discipleship can happen at any time, right? It's not just it's always this structured time where it's like, this is discipleship time. It can happen at any time. It can happen in your everyday life. Like, it could be when you're fixing your car. You get someone along to come fix it with you. You be intentional about how you spend time together. You, you ask how they're going. You speak the gospel into their lives. It doesn't always have to be a Christian We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we talk about what it means to be an everyday missionary. It could be getting, being intentional to get someone to help you move, right? It's not just a cheap labor, come help me move, I'll give you a beer or something after, or pizza and fill your car up. But hey, come help me move, let's spend time together. It could be going to the gym together. Like I know some people at Southwest Church have done this, where they go to the gym together, they, they be intentional about the time they're spending together and how they can encourage one another. And before they leave at the end of their, like, their session, their shred sesh, whatever you call it, like, they, they pray for one another. They, they encourage one another, pray for one another, speak into each other's lives. Like, that's discipleship. It could be something as simple as going over, like, uh, having someone over for dinner. 
having people over dinner and being intentional how you share one another's lives, how you speak into each other's lives, how you encourage one another in the things of God. Like it could be getting someone over to cook with you, even. You could go out for coffee, you could go out for wine, you could go out for a beer, like whatever it is. If you really want to show your brokenness and sin, play a board game. Have someone over and play a board game with them, right? That's when you really see what people are like. You see like that veneer falls away very quickly when you're playing a board game. But seriously, like maybe it's just have someone over for a board game. Go, go for a holiday together. Get a small group of people, go for a holiday. Like our GCs, we talked about it last week in our GC, let's go away together for a weekend. Like it's, it's intentional how we love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, and it happens in the everyday. Like whatever it is, whatever it is for you, whatever you're into, whatever thing you do, just be intentional and do it with someone else and love them, care for them, encourage them in the Word of God and the things of God. Pray for another. It could seriously be 10 minutes. It could be an hour. I remember when we first started Sabbath Church, we used to have like coffee sessions for like three hours when we were at uni. It's ridiculous, right? You can't do that anymore. But maybe in your, your, your morning routine, maybe you find out that someone else at Sabbath Church goes to the same coffee shop you do around the same time. It could be as simple as using that opportunity and being intentional with that opportunity. Because it's not about adding new things into your life. But bring people into your life and being intentional in how you love one another, encourage one another, spur one another on. Like laugh and laugh discipleship will mean that there will be conflict, like I said earlier. Like when you get two broken, sinful people together, there will be sparks. Doesn't matter if you're the best of friends anyone's ever had. Eventually, when sin's involved and our own sins on display, there's conflict. And we've been trained to think that conflict is bad. When in many ways, it's not always bad. Because often conflict, we, uh, in conflict, we see like what we find annoying about someone else. Most of the time, it's something that we are maybe insecure about ourselves. Sometimes when we have conflict with someone else, they might just push your buttons the wrong way. Sometimes, but more often than not, it might be saying something about your own self. I'm not saying that people are annoying and that whatever, that they need to stop. <laughs> But it's easy to, to kind of look at the other person, but sometimes, and more often than not, it's revealing something about our own heart. So often we respond to conflict to reveal our heart and the brokenness that we have. I've noticed this, like, since being married to Bree, <laughs> not in that way, my own sin, right? Since being married to Bree, it's only been like three months, and so much of our like, conflict that we've had or fights that we have or the things that I might find that she does that might irritate me or annoy me, more often than not, like I'm saying something about my own heart, more often than not I'm getting annoyed about something and I get frustrated or something, it's because maybe it's, it's poking me in my pride and how I, how I struggle with the sin of pride. Maybe it's, it's poking me in the place where I struggle with this control. Like I think I'm my own God, that I'm sovereign over all. And, and being close with someone, being cl- um, close proximity with someone, whether you you're married, whether you're single, whatever it looks like, in, in intimate, intentional, close relationships. More often than not, like, it brings to the surface things that we struggle with. And it leaves space for people to speak the truth of the gospel into it, to point us to the cross, to point us to our salvation that we have in there, to speak into the places where we might be a little weak, places where we might need to grow. Like areas of our lives where we need to kind of be peeled back and be restored. 
Like it's letting people each other, it's letting people see each other's lives and be intentional about it and love one another. Which leads to our second way to solve making happens, which is in community. And the New Testament speaks extensively about this, uh, how this happens, how it's in community. Acts 2, 42 to 47 is a great place to go there. Um, if you want to look at that in a really kind of organic, real way. But I, I think we should look at Hebrews 10, um, verses 24 25, because I think it sums up so well about what I think life in community and discipleship in community looks like. It says this. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on. It should be up on the screen. Um, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. God's given us a church family, a community, one another. Like I said earlier, with, with different gifts, we're wired in different ways. God's uniquely wired you, not in the same way as wired with the person next to you with the intention to encourage one another, equip one another, and spur one another on as we see Jesus coming back, as we see the day coming where he's going to come back. And there's two things I want to briefly chat about in regards to discipling one another in community. And the first, and I've alluded to it throughout this sermon, is intentionality. I don't know if you noticed this, but at the beginning of this passage, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Like I think the word consider there is intentional. Like I think the, it's a really important word in how we think about it because it, it implies that it's thought about. It's been intentional. It's not like, oh, you'll fall into... When you fall into encouraging someone, like when it happens by chance and you don't know what's happening. No, like he's saying, like spur to one another on. Think about it. Not just platitudes, but speaking into, into each other's lives and encouraging one another. Discipling one another doesn't always come naturally, Right? Because if it did, we'd be a lot better at it than we are. I'm first with my hand up for that. But we need to be intentional about how we can encourage one another. It's seeking out the opportunity to disciple someone, to give them an encouragement. Like, like Nikki said, sometimes it's just asking. Maybe it's just asking to meet up with someone. Maybe you see someone and you're like, wow, that's really encouraging how they do that. Or we might see someone and say, hey, look, I really value how you live out your Christian life. I, I heard how you, how you live out your faith at work. Hey, can we meet up and can you help me do that myself? Like maybe just encouraging someone, just giving them a word of encouragement. Like the Spirit of God is at work within us, right? And we often feel this kind of flitting thought. I don't know if you ever felt this, where it's like, oh, I should really talk to that person and encourage them. Like maybe it's like, oh, like that's really cool that they did that. Maybe I should encourage them, right? Yeah, that little thing. You just, it's a, maybe a brief moment for you. Maybe it's something that you wrestle with where it's like, I should really tell them. More often than not, if you feel like you should encourage someone, just do it. Just encourage them. Like it's not weird. It's not out of the blue. I've never met someone who got encouraged, who's been encouraged and thought that was horrible. Like it's loving to build one another up. To spur one another on. And maybe there's someone in our church family that isn't, isn't really kind of low part of their life. And God's going to use you to speak to them and encourage them and remind them that he's present and that he understands, that he cares for them. 
It might be being intentional and encouraging someone in how God has gifted them. You might see someone do something, like you might see someone do something at church, whether it's welcoming, you might see them really welcome someone well and be really hospitable and loving. Just go up to them and say, that was really encouraging how you did that. I think, I think God has gifted you in hospitality. I really encourage you to keep doing it. Like maybe you see someone, like so much of it happens behind the scenes. You might, you might see someone who regularly does the things that no one else wants to do. Go up to them and say, thank you so much for serving us. I think God has gifted you in ways in which you can church, serve our church family. I think he's given you a servant heart. Like, keep doing it. Like, keep, keep doing it. Like, God has uniquely gifted us and wired us to be disciple makers. And so often we don't know how he's done that. But other people, like in community, people can see that. We, we have different views on each other's lives. I've never done a 360 review before. At, like, in, like, maybe in the corporate world, it's quite common. But, like, you kind of get people to like, kind of review your life. Catherine's doing it at the moment. Um, it's very humbling. Like, I don't know, it's quite scary. Um, but it's, it, you get different views of how people can speak into your life. Like, when it's done well, it's, it's people saying, hey, look, I see this in your life. You're great at this. Keep doing this. Hey, also, maybe just keep working on this. And I think it's the same in community as we disciple one another, as we equip one another to do the work of discipling. It's looking at each other's lives and encouraging one another and how he's gifted us. Because he's gifted our church family. We are a gifted bunch of people. Even if you don't feel like it, God has gifted you and wired you with talents, spiritual gifts, whatever it is to build up our church. And all it takes is someone coming up, one another coming up to one another and saying, hey, look, keep doing this. Because this is what happened to me. Um, my old church, um, I like, started out speaking in front of people. I never wanted to do that. I thought it was, I, I was terrified. My heart rate was 160 last week. Back then, I was at like 240 or something. It was, it was ridiculous, right? It used to just make me nervous. I didn't like leading people. Like, I, I didn't think that was something that I wanted to do. And I had people, some people in this room, had people outside who came up to me after I did things and encouraged me. They said, thank you so much for serving us. We think God has gifted you in teaching. We want, you, we want to encourage you to keep, like, keep stepping into what God's given you. Keep using that to glorify God and build up his people, not yourself, but keep, keep going. I never would have thought that unless God used someone to encourage me and disciple me in that way. Like, let's be a church that intentionally encourages one another, spur one, spurs one another on, builds one another up. And the next thing is, is, is commitment. And the key way that this <laughs> spurring one another on happens is not just, just by showing up. Being a faithful presence in the community, in our church community, in our church family, is a powerful thing that God uses to, to build one another up and disciple one another and encourage one another to to make disciples. Like Hebrews says, it's not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Like it's, it's a very much a product of our time where church has become a, an event to attend rather than a community or a family to belong to. Like often people treat church like it's Netflix or Stan, 
Like you, like you kind of church shop, or you, in the same way, a necklace and sand. You're like, oh, which one should I subscribe to? If you're really rich, you do both. Maybe you're into Marvel. You're like, oh, stand to Marvel now. Let me go there. Oh, no, I love the documentaries on Netflix. Whatever it is, people sometimes treat church the same way. I love the worship of this church. Oh, I, lo- I, I don't like the people of that church, though. I won't go there. Oh, I'll go to this church to get this, or I'll go to that church to get that. When God calls us to to be a faithful presence in our local church community, to, to commit to a church, to commit to one another, to disciple one another and build one another up. Like, church is so much more than just this service that we tap into or this event to attend. Because if it was, what a lame event. Like, I love our church gathering. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right? But, like, compared... what well, I. You can go to other places and get crowd singing. You can go, you can get helpful advice in places. But we, we meet because we believe Jesus died for us. We believe that he's brought us together to disciple one another around his word, empowered by his spirit, in community, to build one another up, to encourage one another, to, to make each other more like Christ. And there's a reason the Bible describes church as the bride of Christ. It's very intentional. Because in the same way that marriage isn't about convenience, but commitment to one another, so too is church not about convenience, but about commitment to one another. Like that's where discipleship happens best, is in that committed community. I'm in this with you. I love you. I love Jesus. I want to see you become more like him. And I want you to do the same for me. It's two ways. The reason we do GCs midweek isn't just add another thing to your weekly rhythm. Like the reason we, we push you so hard and encourage you so much to go to GC or to be part of a GC is because we're convinced that's in community, that that's where discipleship happens. That's where God builds us up. That's where God shapes us. Like it's turning out, being committed to seeing one another grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus. Like, disciple-making isn't just the job of the pastors, it's not just the job of the GC leaders, it's not just the job of your team leaders. Like, we're all commanded to do it, we're all called to do it. We're all called to make disciples. The whole body of Christ is called to do it. And it takes being intentional and committed to one another to do it well. And like I said earlier, it's, it's hard to turn up sometimes. If you're anything like me, I'm preaching today and I found it hard to turn out. I was like, it's raining, like I don't want to get wet. Netflix is right there. We just got, we went cross shopping for all the, the wrong food that we shouldn't have got. I can eat that. But it's so encouraging to see people turn up, to, to come and encourage one another, build one another up, spur each other on as the day draws near. But sometimes there can be legitimate reasons for people not to come to church. Like whether that's sickness, whether that's, that's mental health, like whether that's um, having a newborn. At my old church, we had like an older congregation, um, not where I was at Heathcote, we put them there. Um, but for a lot of them, it was really hard for them to come to church when it was raining. That's a hard thing to do when you're 80 years old to step outside in the rain and go to church. Like, there's, there's reasons that it's really hard to come to church sometimes. And I want to say, if you're, if you're here today, if, if you're listening to this and you call us out of the church home, 
Like, we want to say that we're committed to you and that we love you. And that if you find church hard to come to, like, please speak to us because we would love to come to you. We would love to, to pour into you, disciple you. We would love to encourage you and, and work through that with you and how we can best love you and be committed to you as your church family. Because it's so easy to become dogmatic and legalistic when we're a church family who's caught, we're, we're committed to one another no matter what. Like, if you, if you don't come on a Sunday or for three weeks, we want, we want you to know that as a staff team, we, we pray for you. We want to connect with you. We want to love you. We want to, we want to help you. It's not because we want bums on the seats. But it's because we're called as a church family, committed as a church family, to love one another, to disciple one another, to be committed and intentional no matter what that looks like. We want to see one another grow in our love and knowledge of Jesus. We want to be a church that disciples one another. Like my dream for our church, our dream for our church, is that we're a church that just disciples one another in the, in the organized of GCs and Sunday gatherings and just in the organic of everyday life. Like we want to, we want to and there are so many stories, because I, I, we, I think we do this really well. I can't encourage the church family that we disciple well. We care for one another so well. But we want to hear more stories like James and Nikki. Like share with one another, encourage one another, build one another up as the day draws near. If you see someone come to church and you know that they've had a hard week, build them up and encourage them. If you see someone, like we've got so many newborn babies at church, which is so good, but it would be so easy to just stay at home. Like, that would be my temptation, to use my kid as an excuse to stay home, right? You've got the perfect excuse. No one will ever know. But it's so encouraging when we see it, people come, because it says, I'm committed to you. I'm here to pour into you. But uh, Friends, I want to finish up. By, we're, we're called to make disciples. We are disciples, and we're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. That's what God has called us to do in our everyday lives, being intentional in our everyday lives, being in community and doing it with one another in community, building one another up. God, God uses us. He's with us. He's, he's empowered us by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is at work within us right now as we do this, as we disciple one another. He's empowered us to do it. He's, he's given us gifts to do it so that we can see one another grow more and more into the image of Christ. It takes time, it takes progress, it sucks, it hurts, but man, it's so worth it and it's so much joy as we get to do it. So let's encourage one another, let's build one another up as we go about making disciples. I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we, you've given us brothers and sisters in Christ who we get to disciple who we get to encourage and build up and love and equip and remind one another of the, the truths of the gospel. Father, thank you that you've given other people in our lives to do that for us. Well, you get to build us up. You use them by your spirit to, to make us more like Christ. What a privilege that is, Father. Thank you so much that you'd love us so much not to leave us where we are, but to use other people to make us more like Christ. Father, we pray that our church, established church, can be known as a church that does that. Father, thank you that it's such a key part of our DNA already in our culture at church that we, we disciple one another intentionally. 
Help us continue to step into that. Help us continue to live that out. Help us build one another up. Help this be a place where people know that they're going to be poured into. And a place where they know that they're going to have to pour into other people to make them more like Christ. Father, thank you for our identity as disciple makers. Father, we pray that as a church family that we can live that out by your spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.